Rory, I am never going to Bob's Swamp Shack. <laughs> the most swamp delicious <laughs> most delicious burgers on the planet, Sherry, and you'll never know. Welcome to episode 51 of the Humanist Agenda podcast. My name is Kenny. I'm Sherry. And I'm Rory. So, the Olympics is done, but have you guys, did <laughs> you guys so, watch the Olympics? We're so good at being timely in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We've got all the current topics of the Olympics. It's newly done. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we have to wait until it's done and then we can report on it. But um, did you guys end up watching the Olympics? I did. Uh, a couple of things, yeah. I didn't catch the closing ceremony. I'm not sure when that happened, but uh, a few events I tuned in for. Yeah, to be honest, I did not watch anything. Oh. <laughs> the only thing I watched was the results and anything on TikTok that's related to it. It's funny. I don't like sports at all, but I love the Olympics. Um, really? well, I, I like watching some sports. Like I would watch outside of the Olympics. I would watch, I would sit down and watch like curling or, or figure skating. But like in the Olympics, I love it. I love watching all these sports and things that, that come up. My favorite is the kayak slalom where they just oh. send a kayak down some rapids and then make them go backwards up the rapids and then down up the rapids. It's great. It's the greatest sport <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, not I don't really watch much sports so this is it's not i'm not like super interested in it and really the only thing that was interesting about the olympics was just any like just the athletes day-to-day life like mm. for example the cardboard beds like i was very fascinated uh, yes. by the cardboard beds how they function <laughs> so and tiktok and, like, was right you, there to show you how they TikTok function was right there exactly <laughs> tiktok was right there to demonstrate the um, the sturdiness of the beds, and you know how you could change the hardness levels by swapping out the uh, the sections inside the mattress, and they had like you know uh, stations where you could like sample different hardnesses of beds, and they'll <laughs> you know switch out the foam for you. I mean, this is the type of stuff that I'm interested in. <laughs> that was fascinating. I was on TikTok like all over that. I enjoyed watching that. I love these cardboard beds. I think it's a great idea. Just because like they need all these beds for these athletes, they need something sustainable that they can reuse or recycle or whatever. Why not use cardboard? And it worked. And the and I watched all these like tiktok olympians jumping on their beds and like they had like 10 of them jumping on the same bed and it was still intact it was great wow yeah yeah i can only think of one type of person that it might not be great for like any like bedwetters that's probably not the best (laughs) (laughs) you'd have to get through the foam first Uh, i think you're okay yeah this doesn't sound like your ordinary cardboard either. It's It's got to be some high-density, high-strength cardboard to withstand that. I think it was just how it was created, just using, you know, certain architecturally sound ideas. Some mini-engineering yeah. marvel. <laughs> well, like, Japan yeah. is all about engineering, right? Like, they all, you know, they're all about creating new concepts and, and- that so exactly i mean their buildings are earthquake proof so i'm sure they can figure out how to design a (laughs) bed that will withstand (laughs) athletes 120 pound athlete jumping proof Mm -hmm. 
What got to me was how quickly the media took off on this idea that it was sex proof. Um, so it was <laughs> like designed to keep Olympians from having sex on these beds when like it really, it was just about having an eco-friendly option of having a bed. Mm-hmm. But the media took off. How how do you avoid it? I mean, there's uh, <laughs> there's other ways you could have sex without involving a bed. So <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyways, uh, silly, um, silly, silly media stories. But I I enjoy uh, all the all the TikTok memes and things like that. So that's the only thing that kept me entertained during the Olympics. But I was glad to see that. Uh, London, Ontario played a major part in getting uh, medals for mm-hmm. Canada. So um, uh, for Canada, we got seven golds, six silvers, and 11 bronze, uh, which is the largest medal count, uh, I think, for summer, at least Summer Olympics uh, ever. And of the seven gold medals, four of them had a connection to London. So either people that lived in London or were from London. So yeah, must be something in our water. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> yes, we all have a piece of this. By living in London, we all are partially Olympian. <laughs> yeah, well, we all contributed somehow. <laughs> <laughs> well, that does raise an interesting uh, thought, though, because, you know, these uh, these athletes who did so well coming from our area, are they... You know, is their day job being athletes in whatever discipline they're committed to? Or are they actually doing other things in the community? Like, I'm a daytime furniture salesman, but by night, I'm a javelin expert. (laughs) I think it depends on your sponsorship and who's, uh, yeah, either who's sponsoring you from a corporate standpoint or maybe a university or your university student. Right. Athlete. Right, exactly. I think it's, it's a mixed bag. Typically, these people are really young anyways, so... Are you just saying they're poor anyways? <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying they have a lot more time. Like, they can... They have more time on their hands versus somebody who's yeah. working a full-time yeah. job, no, right? You're right, you're right. Like, a 14-year-old Olympian, of course, they're they're probably still living with their parents and... Going to school and all that. Yeah. But, um... So, speaking of medals, um... Who do you guys think has the most number of medals. <laughs> Who's number one on the score scoreboard for the uh, Olympics? I can't imagine it being anyone other than the United States of America. No, it's not. It's uh, It would be either China or Russia. Usually they have a good showing. So what if I told you, it really depends on which country you ask. <laughs> <laughs> I would so, be very uh, curious to learn what that means. Yeah, so um, uh, so let, let's put aside what the total count is right now. Uh, but in the middle of the Olympics, if you watched U.S. news networks and then you watch any other news network on the scores, they were all completely different in terms of who was number one and who wasn't. <laughs> um, would you be surprised... To find out that if you watched America television, uh, the U.S. was always number one on the scoreboard. Hmm. Even though the rest of the world, when they reported the total medal count, 
uh, or who who uh, was on top. Um, the U.S. was not at the top. <laughs> <laughs> so is it a finger on the scale? What's going on here? Yeah. So um, in th- throughout the Olympics, uh, how U.S. news networks uh, reported the medal counts, they essentially tallied up the total number of medals, so gold, silver, bronze, and whoever had the most medals would be number one in their scoreboard. Everywhere else in the world, including the International Olympic Committee, would rank countries by who had the most gold medals. (laughs) So, uh, for quite a period of time, um, the number one country, according to everyone else in the world, was China, because Mm -hmm. China had the most number of gold medals. But if you watched any U.S. network, it's always the United States that's number one, because (laughs) they had the most number of medals. So what do you guys think about that? I mean, who who, who actually deserves top spot? Because uh, it almost seems like the United States are counting, uh, you know, basically if you're second or third uh, third place, you have the same equivalent standing as a gold medal, and we're just going to put U.S. at the top. I think it's really interesting that there's not uh, some kind of point system. Is that the way the rest of the world does it? Like a gold medal counts for 30 points, a silver medal counts for 10, and a bronze it's for 5? pretty much it. Yeah, I mean, the, how the math would work out is basically, you know, you start with gold medal count, and then if you had a tie in a gold medal count, you count the silvers. Mm-hmm. You know, a tie in the silvers, you count the bronze. I see. I see. So it's, it's basically a, a ranked system. So, But, you know, I, it's not completely without merit to you know, count the total number of medals. You know, just because you didn't win gold every single time, maybe you won bronze in 30 different events. And I don't want to devalue that accomplishment. Yeah. So what if I told you that of all the countries, the country that had the most number of athletes is the U.S. Yeah. So would it not be logical to then it, assume that the U.S. could potentially get more medals because they actually sent <laughs> the most number of athletes? It, yeah, the it, U.S. sent uh, 657 athletes, the most out of every other country. You make a very good point. It makes it a whole lot less surprising that they have a whole lot more medalists in the, in the range of events. I don't know. It feels like they're rigging the system. (laughs) We're just going to put in so many athletes that the probability of us getting any medal (laughs) is higher than anyone else. I think you need to qualify, though, to get your athletes into the Olympics. I think they need to qualify in some sort of qualifying round before the Olympics. But, like, a higher population does have a higher probability that you'll get more people in, right? So Mm -hmm. This is true, too. Did China not have as many athletes as the United States in the Olympics? Yep, they had less. They had fewer. Oh. Um, but, you know, there's, so you could rank people by uh, the number of medals. You could rank people by uh, the number of gold. Um, maybe another perspective is you could technically rank people by uh, per capita, so <laughs> medals per capita. But that it makes the ranking even more confusing or worse because if you 
counted by per capita. Uh, can you guess which country actually would be number one? Hmm. What small country won maybe a single gold medal and is going to rocket to the top? <laughs> there was a country this year. I can't even remember its name because it's such a, like, I, I, you know, it's not a name I encounter very often. But they have, like, 34,000 people in their country. And they, sent, <laughs> and they have one Olympian who won a medal. And, and it's the first time they've ever won a medal. And so, like, they made a joke that, like, one in 34,000 people in this country is an Olympian. <laughs> Yeah. An Olympic medalist, even. Yeah. For every 34,000, yeah. so, there's an Olympian. Yeah, Sherry, you're actually not far off. But, uh, it, I mean, if it's one of these tiny countries that I'm, I don't even think you may have heard of them. But uh, San Marino uh, is would be ranked as number one. They I think that was the won country, three medal. I think that was the country that, that was the 34,000. I don't know. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I can give you the stats, yeah. So... Uh, they won three medals, uh, which actually makes it uh, one medal per 11,000 people. So that that's pretty good odds compared yeah. to anyone else. It's even better than one in 30,000. Yeah. I think so, that's the country that I uh, heard the news report about. So so I was on the right track there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this was during, you know, in the middle of the Olympics, but um, when the Olympics concluded... Uh, the U.S. was able to capture one extra gold medal. So regardless of whether you count the total number of medals or you counted just the gold medals, uh, the U.S. ended up being at the top, even though they uh, hovered at second place for pretty much the majority of the the Olympics. Um, So as of right now, regardless, yeah, um, U.S. is number one. Um, But... Then another controversy came up. Um, the China state media started reporting their final medal count with China number one. <gasps> now, can you can you guess how they managed to change the math so that China's number one and the U.S. is number two? Hmm. Any so guesses? Just a different point system. They value different medals differently that's my guess any guesses sherry based on how many athletes were taking steroids (laughs) good guess but no uh so um china has this little territorial issue where they think taiwan and hong kong belongs to them right (laughs) so what did they do they added up (laughs) Taiwan's number and Hong Kong's number, and now what do you China's know? number one again. <laughs> oh, that's even more creative than what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just love it. I just love how, depending on you know where you're at, people are always going to try to figure out <laughs> how to create some national pride by mm-hmm. attempting to be higher than someone else. <laughs> it's weird i think the olympics has like some weird aspects to it of like how we base our like national pride off of this sporting event it's kind of strange do you feel infused with pride when canadian athletes do well 
I mean, it gives me a team to root for. Like, because I don't normally watch sports. So, like, if I were to watch a hockey game, I wouldn't be that interested because I don't have a team that I'm, like, supporting. But Mm -hmm. to watch the Olympics, I'm like, oh, I can support Canada because this is my country. And so I find it more interesting because I'm like, oh, there's a Canadian in this event. I'll watch this event. Um, So it does, Mm -hmm. I guess, give me a little pride, but it, it gives me somebody to root for. Yeah. I feel the exact same way. Like Canadian athletes are the ones that I'm hoping do well in whatever event that I'm watching. So it'd be impossible to deny it, even though I know in the back of my mind that every single one of these athletes have more in common with each other within their group of athletic competition than they do with any particular nation at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, many of them live in other countries to train while, you know, representing our country, right? Like, so often a lot of our athletes live in the United States to train Mm -hmm. while they go off to, to represent our country. So it's not like, you know, even some of our athletes live in Canada all the time. Yeah, they probably go where the the best training facilities are, the the mm-hmm. best competition to, you know, improve themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And really, I mean, half of the year is freezing cold here in Canada. Why would you be training for the Summer Olympics <laughs> in Canada? <laughs> but yeah, so that that's that's the medal count. Uh, uh, interesting, I guess, controversies around how. Medals are counted in different countries, and um, yeah, just for a period of time, people were just bashing the U.S. in terms of how they were, <laughs> why they were the only country that was counting the medals differently. So, um, it's funny. Like, don't they love a good underdog story? Don't they want to come from behind? They have to be on top the entire time. It kind of ruins the whole heroic yeah. narrative that I would have exactly. thought they'd go for. And it would have been a great underdog story. They could have, you know, sat on in second place, and then yeah. right when they got their final medal, overtake China. Wow, would have been we a great story. Did it? But exactly. all the good events are at the beginning of the Olympics and the middle of the Olympics. The end of the Olympics is like not as interesting stuff. So Boy, when people shots are watching fired, it, Sherry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, yeah. <laughs> that not as much happens towards the end at all exciting stuff happens towards the beginning and the middle. So when you're getting all those views on television, then you're able to say we're winning, we're winning. And then it doesn't like, you know, you don't have to have people wait until that last medal. I'm just saying who wants to, I don't know. I, I'm, <laughs> I was going to, I was going to say, I think the U.S. might have won their final medal with, like, women's basketball. So I am like, wah-wah. Oh, <laughs> I mean, okay, to be fair, a lot of the team sports go throughout, and so the team medals sort of get at the end, but then all the other, like, I don't know, I don't want to watch speed walking or <laughs> golf. <laughs> You're merciless right now, Sherry. <laughs> Well, I, I don't know. Sherry does have a point. Like, who really wants to watch speed walking? <laughs> it's true. I think a highlight video might do it for me for the uh, the speed walking competition. Mm-hmm. It was on TV. Well, it, I guess this was the last year for speed walking because they can't sell tickets to it. So they decided to take it out of the Olympics. So it was on TV while I was like with my family or whatever, hanging out. And 
Uh, so we watched a little bit of the speed walking and it was like, it was very strange. <laughs> <laughs> You're literally just sitting watching people walk. Yeah. Well, there's rules to it where like both your feet have to be on the ground. So it was funny to watch people get carded and then they have to go into this timeout zone. <laughs> like they're <Yeah>. being reprimanded. <laughs> <laughs> strange, strange event. <laughs> yeah, it's... You might as well just have a regular, you know, just keep the running races, right? Like, why try to, you know, uh, create barriers for people to cross a line? <laughs> hey, hey, now, it might take a specific set of skills and a different type of muscle development to be able to speed walk as opposed to sprint. I guess. There's such a fine line, though, between walking and running. That's why, like, I just didn't understand it because people were getting carted, but, like, I don't know. I guess you have to keep both feet on the ground. Yeah. To do the well, speed walking. And basically, you, uh, your both your feet cannot be off the ground at any time. Mm-hmm. So you can't be galloping like a horse. You have to, you know, be partially planted. And see, I don't want to be reductionist about this and be like, well, why do we do anything besides pure sprinting? You know, why do hurdles? Why do any kind of uh, adjustment to the rule set? So. I think that's unfair, even if I do agree with you that it may not be the most dynamic sport to be a viewer of. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like we should criticize some of the <laughs> the events, like equestrian. Like, are you really an athlete at that t- point <laughs> if you're the using horse a horse? Is the athlete. <laughs> <laughs> but your your skill in in guiding and maneuvering the horse that is kind of a strange one, though, because. Then why not have chess? Yeah. Why can't we have chess as an Olympic sport? Yeah, fair point. Absolutely a fair point. If we're measuring your ability to guide and strategize and manipulate, then yeah, intellectual sports very well should be in there. Horse even... riding is like a rich white people sport, and that's why it's included in the Olympics. Mm. Mm. Well, that's slightly more depressing. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways... That's the metal count controversy, and um, another controversy uh, maybe I'll just follow up on uh, was the trans athletes. Um, So I think in our, maybe a few episodes ago, we talked about trans people in sports. Um, And in the Olympics, we had a few athletes that were trans kind of openly participate in the sports. Uh, congratulations to the Canadian uh, women's soccer team for mm. winning gold, uh, which included a uh, openly transgender, non-binary athlete in that team. Um, but of course, when right right-wing media found out that trans athletes would be participating in the Olympics, we can anticipate all the potential articles that mm-hmm. came out of there. Uh, and they really focused on one athlete that I had mentioned um, uh, in the last episode, in one of our last episodes. It was that New Zealand weightlifter that was competing in women's weightlifting. Um, so it turns out that she did not score well in the Olympics. Uh, she uh, did not clear her first three attempts in kind of lifting. Uh, pretty heavy weights, so like 120 kilograms was mm-hmm. kind of the first one that she was uh, to lift. So um, no one was really anticipating that she would like 
win a medal because globally when, where she ranked was actually pretty low. Um, but it, to me, it just goes to show that uh, because you're a trans athlete, you don't have this automatic unfair biological advantage yeah. to winning a sport. Like this is weightlifting. You need strength, Physical right? Strength. You need skill to like actually lift these weights. Um, she wasn't able to clear the weights. And um, so unfortunately, you know, she, she was very happy that, you know, obviously she was in the Olympics. That's already a great accomplishment, right? Mm -hmm. Being able to participate in the Olympics. Um, but she didn't win a medal, which, I mean, in reality, no one was anticipating she was going to win because of kind of where she was ranked uh, globally. Um, but there's this uh, new controversy now. Um, after I went down into the, uh, the bowels of Fox News <laughs> and <laughs> read their articles, um, but basically uh, some Fox News commentators are... Uh, now, when they reported on the results, uh, a lot of uh, commenters were are starting up a new conspiracy now. Now, now the new conspiracy is: oh, she purposely failed, I knew it. so that uh, this would be a proof point to allow more transgender athletes into games. I so knew like, they'd go where that does the madness stop? <laughs> where does the madness stop? <laughs> Well, there's just no way to disprove their theory at that point. They have you covered both ways. If she wins, then yeah. aha, I knew it all along. She never should have been allowed to participate. But if she loses, exactly. then she had a strategy all along to throw it to get more trans athletes in. Exactly. Even though, I mean, she's been participating for many years, right, on a global mm -hmm. scale. In reality, you know, she, she wasn't one of the top athletes in, in this space. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, uh, people still think that it's a conspiracy now because she purposely lost the game or didn't, you know, get a medal and is uh, uh, a, a, an activist trying to get more uh, trans athletes into uh, games by purposely losing. Ridiculous. Totally ridiculous. It never, it never ends. So I read briefly, and I don't have a deep knowledge about this, but uh, it was an article I read about some, you know, a, a more androgynous appearing athletes having to prove that they were female and being forced by judges to strip naked to verify that they were female. Did you two read anything about that? I've heard no, of uh, that happening. Yeah, I mean that 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 was some definitely some proposals in the U.S. Uh, to do that, um, and uh, it should be no. I, I mentioned this in you know in our last episodes around trans athletes, but the Olympic Committee is looking to actually change their policies around trans athletes for the next Olympics. Um, don't know what that is yet, but they're anticipating to kind of. Uh, lower testosterone limits when they, uh, you know, take blood samples and things like that. But hmm. who knows what's going to be? Yeah, I just remember that was a story that really disturbed me because it definitely seems like a violation of a person's privacy and what you should reasonably have to expect in order to compete in athletic endeavors. Yeah, I mean, that was when we had that uh, discussion around trans athletes. Literally, Republicans in the U.S. are trying to create laws so that they can inspect the genitals of children. 
before they compete. Yeah, that was literally the law that they wanted to implement. And it seems reasonable to them to, you know, provide some sexual interference to a yeah. child rather than just yeah. accept the in child's the name identity. Of, yeah, in the name of quote unquote fairness. Yeah. Right. Such a weaponized word. Anyways, so when it comes to women's sports, the controversies don't end, do they, Sherry? No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> no. And I, so, okay, so one sport that I watch during the Olympics is the women's beach volleyball. I love beach volleyball. I love the women's beach volleyball. I think the women rock it a lot better than the men, to be honest. Um, I think the the women are a lot better at beach volleyball. But um, while watching beach volleyball, and I've said this for years and years and years, I always feel uncomfortable watching beach volleyball because of the outfits that the women wear. Um, and specifically because, so during, um, during the serve portion of, of the game, so when one player goes to serve, the other player, so it's a two-player sort of team, the other player is standing at the net, and usually they, behind their back, will put up a certain number uh, of fingers to indicate to the server where to hit the ball, so where it's going to be the most strategic place to hit the ball. Um, so you get these shots from the camera up close of these women's behinds and because that's where their fingers are showing mm-hmm. like where to hit the ball. So you just get a whole bunch of butt shots um, <laughs> while you're trying to watch the game. <laughs> I find it very uncomfortable, um, especially because like men, so men in a beach volleyball are allowed to wear shorts and a tank top, whereas women are not allowed to actually wear that. They have to wear bikini bottoms that are very specific to, like, they have to be, you know, 10 centimeters across or whatever, um, and, um, like, sports bras, essentially. Um, So there has been a huge controversy over women's uniforms uh, in the Olympics this year, Uh, and it really started with this uh, Norwegian handball team and it wasn't even part of the Olympics. So it was sort of outside of the Olympics Um, in the, um, I can't remember if it was, so it was before the Olympics that happened. Uh, It was some sort of European um, tournament of some kind where uh, the Norwegian team was fined 1500 euros for not wearing bikini bottoms. They wore like these spandex shorts that, that, you know, went, you know, a couple inches Mm -hmm. maybe below what the bikini bottoms were. Like they weren't even, they were less revealing, but still like still revealing. Like I play beach volleyball. I don't want to go and play if I would have to wear like a bikini or even spandex shorts. Like I just want to be able to play in, in what's most comfortable. So, uh, so each of these, I find it very interesting because each of these sports have specific uniforms that you have to wear. Um, so the men are allowed to wear in tank tops and shorts that are no longer than four inches above the knee. And women are required to wear these, you know, uh, sports bras with bikini bottoms. Um, and, and what the rules are for handball is that it has to have a close fit and cut to an upward angle toward the top of the leg and a maximum side width of four inches. So like when you're watching these things, you're always seeing them like readjust their bikini bottoms because 
you're not when you play I mean, there's, sports. There's a big, yeah, there's a big question of actually what is the purpose of these bikini bottoms? Like, is there a functional reason? Yeah, why? were the shorts getting in the way? They were tying yeah. my legs up. <laughs> I could not move. <laughs> Because, so, for example, um, like any diving sports, you know, obviously the, the men wear Speedos. And there's a very specific reason why they have to wear Speedos. It has to be very tight because uh, when they jump off a 10-meter platform, they're going really fast into the water. If anything's dangling, <laughs> it's going to hurt a also, lot. Also, aerodynamics like, and stuff like that. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's a functional there, there, There's reason. a lot of function. Exactly. Whereas... In beach volleyball, what's the functional reason of a bikini? <laughs> there is none. And you would get sand in places that you never want sand. And I just can't <laughs> even imagine being these athletes. They are constantly readjusting. Like, it's not what I want to watch on TV. I want to watch these athletes able to perform at the height of their performance versus, like, them being uncomfortable in, the, in whatever they have been forced to wear. So, yeah, so this story came out about the Norwegian handball team, about them being fined. And then um, Pink, the singer, uh, stepped up and said that she was going to pay for the fines for this this team or whatever. Um, But there has been more than just the uh, volleyball outfits and the handball outfits sort of at play here. Um, These gymnastics have seen a little bit of controversy in their uniforms as well. Uh, so the German gymnastics team made a statement this year um, by wearing these full uh, full unitards instead of the um, legless or bikini cut leotards. Um, and they made that statement specifically because, and this is what they said, was because of um, all of the over-sexualization of their sport, and especially with Larry Nasser. And they made uh, the... Um, reference to Larry Nassar and how he sexually abused about 265 young women in the sport. Um, And uh, so they decided to wear these full um, unitards sort of in protest of that, Um, which I thought was, was great. They looked, they looked awesome. Um, And I also find strange as well, because when we're thinking about like when these athletes are practicing, they practice with like shorts. Uh, They don't practice in like leotards. They're practicing in shorts and things that are comfortable to them. Because like, you know, when we're watching this sport, we're watching their legs and how they're pointing their toes and stuff like that. Why do we care necessarily what they look like? I can understand with a team sport wanting to have the same kind of uniform, but like, why do we care that, you know, they're wearing specific things? At least they get a choice though. They get a choice between these, uh, leotards versus, um, unitards, uh, which is something. It almost feels like there's, there's really no reason why no one and you could wear essentially whatever you want for the sports right like it's up to you whether it hinders you or not maybe it can't be stuff that's like reflective in terms of maybe but but other than that i mean like who does it really matter <laughs> like you could technically wear 
you know, t-shirt and jeans and just play the game, you're probably going to lose because, (laughs) you know, whatever. It's not very functional wear jeans, but like, yeah, yeah, like why, why would it matter necessarily what you wear? And when we are looking at the Olympics for this Olympic, um, prowess and ability, right? So, um, and one of the, uh, one of the athletes from the German gymnastics team, um, Sarah Voss, uh, made a comment that really I feel like struck sort of at the heart of this. Um, and she said, as a little girl, I didn't see the tight gym outfits as such a big deal. But when puberty began, when my period came, I began feeling increasingly uncomfortable. And I think that makes a really good point about women in sports. I mean, women in sports, like women are you know, our periods don't just stop because we go to the Olympics, right? So having to participate in a sport where you are required to bear your body like that is really difficult if you're on your period. Like, how do you hide your menstrual products? You know what I mean? And especially if you are, and these gymnasts are so young, like gymnasts are typically a lot younger because the older you are, the more uh, injuries and things like that. Like it gets harder to, um, participate in this sport. When you get older, your, your body needs to be, you know, small and flexible and no injuries and that sort of thing. So it's these young, young people in gymnastics that we're, you know, essentially putting into these very skin tight outfits and saying, now you go perform your physical feats. And, and it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't really, it doesn't really encourage girls to want to do this because they're at a point in their lives where, you know, you're uncomfortable with the changes that are happening in your body. And it doesn't really lend itself well to, to how your body is performing as well. So I think it makes a really good point. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Or let's just force all the men to wear bikini bottoms. <laughs> well, I think maybe switch it. Why can't the men wear the bikini bottoms and the girls can wear the shorts? And maybe let's do yeah. that for a couple Olympics <laughs> and see how it goes. And I yeah. think that's good. Yeah. I was going to say, Sherry, just try it for a couple of years and then we'll exactly. see just all the rules go away. <laughs> I was quickly looking up the topic of um, like uh, the Olympics uniform and I, I didn't click on it yet, but there's apparently a YouTube video um, labeled if men had to wear women's Olympic beach volleyball uniform. <laughs> and there's a photo of a man in the, their uniform. And I was like, I don't know if I want to click it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. It, maybe it's a comedy skit, but <laughs> it's one of those like force the men to do it. Let's see how long it lasts. <laughs> it sort of brings me back to this idea of selling tickets for events. So if women are not in, in bikinis for beach volleyball, are you going to sell as many tickets? I think the answer is yes, because it's a sport and people go to see the sport. And um, But I think there's this over-sexualization of women thinking that you can sell their bodies for tickets to these events. And, and it's just sort of, we've become commercialized almost in a way. I I mean, sports fans come in different breeds. And while I'd like to think that all of them are athletic enthusiasts who are there just to see technique and excellent performance of sport, I don't think that 
I can rule out that there is a significant proportion of the male viewer base who's tuning into female beach volleyball for sexualized reasons. So it'd be hard for me to accept the argument that the viewership wouldn't take a hit with the uniform change, even if that is the better and more moral thing to do. It would be a mi- I don't think it would be a major hit, though. I think it would be a minor hit, and I think it's the right thing to do. I don't think the Olympics should be about selling tickets versus Olympic prowess. Well, it's televised, I, yeah. too. Like Selling tickets is one thing, but people who tune in, whether by internet or TV, it's also you know selling of products. There's a whole lot of Selling of women's up. bodies? Great. <laughs> You're yeah, making cause... a great case. Well, I'm just saying that that's a part of consumer culture, and it always has been, is sexualized images of women used to sell things. And that the idea that that stops during the Olympics is, is pretty absurd. Of course, they're still doing that. Hey, men out there, can but, I just send you a message? Stop watching sports for women's bodies. Can we, like, stop doing that? I second your opinion, Sherry. <laughs> You're you making tell, me mad. You tell them, Sherry. <laughs> Hey, I'm I'm not embodying this opinion. I'm just uh, <laughs> presenting what I what I accept as a reality that exists in the world. Mm. There are I some mean, ultimately. I mean, it's the Olympics. We should be prioritizing the fact that we're you know trying to uh, promote sportsmanship and competition and absolutely leave out leave out the rest. Mm-hmm. There have been some. Um, Uniform changes, though, that you may not have heard of this Olympics. Um, one of them was the sole cap, uh, swim cap ban. So I don't know if you heard about the sole cap at all. Um, no. It is a swimsuit cap. So it's a, a swimmer's cap uh, for essentially for black people um, who maybe have a bit more hair Um or you know just people who have more hair and that and that traditionally has been sort of black people um but in 2017 a man named Michael Chapman um and uh Tonks Ahmed Saluwadin Dean sorry I don't I can't pronounce Valiant effort Sherry Oh I, it was not it was not um I tried though <laughs> um they invented this thing called the sole cap. And so it is essentially a swimmer's cap, but it's a little bit longer because they heard about a lot of women, um, African-American women who were uh, black women who were struggling with their swim caps because they had, um, you know, more hair or natural hair and things like that. Um, so it's a cap that's de- designed to fit black women's hair um, and they banned it from the Olympics because it doesn't follow the natural form of the head. Um, hmm. Because it's a little bit bigger in the back so you can accommodate the hair. Um, and so I was reading an article where a swimmer was talking about wanting to use these sole caps because... Um, so uh, she had to use this protective oil on her hair because... Um, Black women's hair is, um, you know, scientifically, it has fewer cell layers. And so um, it is drier than other hair types. Um, So when it goes into the pool in the chlorine, it gets damaged 
um, a lot more severely than than other you know races hair types. And so the swim caps that she had, like normal swim caps, were just too small. They didn't protect all of her hair, and so she would um, go compete and then take a lot more time to get all of that chlorine out of her hair to to make sure it didn't damage her hair um, than other people did uh, because, you know, the swim caps would shift um, and they would slide off and, and things like that. So um, this company um, created these swim caps because of, with this in mind, and she felt that it encouraged more black girls to like start competing in swimming. Um, whereas this ban really discourages, um, you know, black women, black girls who are watching this, maybe even, you know, other races who experience this, this type of hair, um, from competing. There was, a another, um, swimming controversy a few years ago regarding, uh, full body suits. Um, some mm. of the, uh, richer countries were able to purchase full body suits that uh, had a significantly lower friction coefficient <laughs> so oh. that they could glide through the water much more <laughs> smoothly Ooh. than human skin. This sounds like so. technology gaining an edge for your athletes rather than athletic ability. Yeah. Well, the thing with these swim caps, though, these sole caps is like they don't give you any more aerodynamics. In fact, they probably give you less. Because they probably make it worse. They're accommod- <laughs> yeah, they're accommodating for your hair. So there's really no reason why the Olympic Committee couldn't accommodate for this because it's mm-hmm. not giving people this competitive edge like those bodysuits would. Yeah, so I found that one interesting. So that one was banned this year. Um, and then I found another uniform um, change for women. Uh, so for table tennis, um, there was a rule change um, for full-length sportswear and head coverings. So usually the uniform for table tennis is a t-shirt and shorts. Um, and um, the Muslim athletes successfully lobbied to um, have long sleeves that you could wear underneath um, so that you could cover up and, I guess, wear head coverings as well. So um they were allowed this year to to wear that. Um, and they had similar rule changes in basketball and judo as well. So um, they have been able to cover up. And it was interesting reading about table tennis because I heard a lot of athletes wanting to change the, um, or maybe not athletes. I think it was more like organizations wanting to change the uh, uniform because these women, the shorts were so baggy that they would be like rolling them up and then they would look like they were wearing like diapers essentially. And it wasn't good viewing on TV and they were, yeah, they were criticizing, you know, their viewership numbers going down and stuff like that. So <laughs> it's, <Okay>. uh, <laughs> interesting table tennis. Cause I, I didn't watch any of the table tennis. So I don't know much about this, but it's because you saw the diapers and you're like, nope, not for me. Yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I want to watch it now just because of the whole diaper thing. <laughs> yeah. It almost yeah. feels like people are trying to make a lot of excuses when, you know, a lot of these like uniform topics, if it doesn't result in uh, like unfairly it, uh, creating some kind of advantage, mm-hmm. does it really matter? Like who, 
Who cares? Yeah, if it's purely aesthetic, it just it's how they look. Mm-hmm. Why are we yeah. making rules about it? Yeah. I mean, like the swimming skin suits. Like I, I understand that because it's one of those like, okay, not every country can afford that. Yeah. So you know, clearly the rich countries, if they adopt it, they're gonna have a maybe a bit of an edge. But anything else, like uh, table table tennis, like, uh, how, how does the uniform <laughs> give you any advantage? <laughs> yeah, I do like though that they're allowing for these, you know, Muslim women who maybe haven't been able to participate in sports because of the uniform requirements. So maybe their country will not allow them to go to the Olympics because they don't want their women to be represented in these outfits. I do I do appreciate that there have been changes based on on that as well so that more women can be involved in the Olympics despite, you know, faith um obligations or uh country obligations based on that mm-hmm. faith. Yeah. Yeah, so I appreciate that more women are are getting um involved and i think i think you make a good point of like why are we imposing these rules um so like to increase viewership to make it more sexy i guess to make that sport more sexy or you know things like that and there's also so my last one that i was going to talk about was tennis and i feel like there is this huge colonialism base behind tennis i think because it is like the British sport, if if I were to to I don't know, put it with any any big you know organization there. Um, but I don't know if you you two either remember um, when Serena Williams she had a, she had she gave birth she had a C section, and um, in her in her giving birth she had some complications some blood clots. Um, and so she showed she wanted to get back into tennis after having um her child but she needed help with circulation in her body so she wore um a cat suit essentially um and the pants helped her circulation in her legs so that she wouldn't get any blood clots um and that went against the tennis rules um because uh you have to wear a tennis skirt and a tennis top and like it had to be very specific like you have to wear this specific outfit um and they wouldn't let her wear this even though it was for specifically her health um yeah and and you have to wear white as well um so tennis whites is this sort of victorian uh phenomenon of you know uh, establishing a sense of class and hygiene and things like that. So, um, you know, lower class people, they can't wear white without getting it dirty. So, uh, so when you play tennis, you have to wear white because it sort of establishes you as a higher class person. And this was all back in Victorian times. And so it has this really colonialism, um, sort of undercurrent within a lot of you know, these, these types of sports that maybe have been established a long time, um, that are continually, um, you know, that are continued on even now in, in women's sports specifically. Um, there was actually a controversy in 2015, um, the black bra controversy with a Canadian, uh, which you probably didn't hear about cause I didn't hear about it until I researched it. 
uh, Eugenie Bouchard um, went to Wimbledon and she was wearing a white tank top and a white skirt. And uh, she was flagged by the umpire for dress code violation because she had a black uh, sports bra underneath her white tank top that you could see just barely at the top of her shoulder. You could see the bra strap peek out. And so... This is so ridiculous. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> who cares? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. my God. So she, this is like... <laughs> she got, like, flagged by the umpire for having a little bit of a black bra strap. But it's so interesting how women's bodies and women's um, clothing is so policed within sports. I just find it very interesting. And, and some of it based on a lot of this colonialism. So... You know, the whites wearing in tennis. Also, I would even say, um, you know, that racist undercurrent for the sole cap um, and things like that. Like, I just think I don't understand why we need to place these rules upon women's bodies. We don't need to. The, uh, this is all made up stuff, right? It's just made up by some... I, I 100% guarantee the committee that made up these rules were white men oh, yeah, <laughs> sitting yeah. in a room. <laughs> A hundred percent. Right? A hundred percent, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no question. Yeah, that's what I'm picturing, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. What uniform should we let the men wear? Anything they want. Yeah. What about women? <laughs> well, let me get started. Get Short your, skirt. Get your pen and paper out. There's going to be some notes. <laughs> yeah. I just, uh, and, and it's, I'm glad that it's all coming to light now. I'm glad that we're talking about it now. I think there's been a big cultural shift since the last Olympics uh, because we weren't talking about the bikinis in the last Olympics. I was, I was shouting it from the rooftops, but I'm nobody. Um, <laughs> so it's nice to see this cultural shift where we can start to talk about like, okay, why are these women wearing this outfit and the men can wear this at the same sport? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good points. I I think uh, we definitely people definitely should revisit like all these uh, assumptions about what should you wear in certain sports. Because I mean, yeah, come on, we're we're in the modern age now. We don't have to live by you know these pre existing rules that had no like logic to it. I totally agree. Or you know faulty and bigoted logic when you delve into it like sherry did and you're like oh that's actually a really really bad reason to be imposing this particular dress code rule on these athletes strange little tangent next when you mentioned next that, topic <laughs> when you mentioned the most british thing in the olympics i immediately had to check and see whether cricket had ever been in the olympics <laughs> and has it been well i guess what do you think has it ever been no. <laughs> Probably. I would say yeah, at some point, but then they couldn't tell, sell tickets for it. I don't know. It was an Olympic sport in the 1900 Summer Olympics with a men's only contest. And, oh. uh, and of course, Britain won. <laughs> <laughs> but was it in this Olympics? Cricket? It wasn't no, in it, this one. Not no. according to Wikipedia. I just ran to that quickly to yeah. find out, but it says it's only been an Olympic sport that one time. Okay. That's what I, I... I felt like it wouldn't be in the Olympics. <laughs> it's just one of those sports that feels too... Too British. Only would it be played in Britain and maybe a, a 
you know, previous colony like India. <laughs> you got me wondering though, because I'm like, well, equestrianism was in there, maybe. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, as for for a next topic, I was kind of interested in this whole paradox, and it's it's been an undercurrent throughout our discussion so far about you know the authentic athletic achievement of uh, participants, athletic excellence and national pride, the good reason to to watch and uh, pay attention to the Olympics versus maybe the, the seedy or underbelly of the whole commercialization of the games and, you know, all the different companies out there that are seeking the positive branding by associating themselves with the Olympics you know, maybe the reason why we need to have sexy athletes showing off their beautiful bodies so that we can associate that with some particular product that consumers will be interested in. And I I want to gain some perspective on what you guys think about the commodification of the Olympics being necessary or not. Like, do we have to have this corporate funding in order to host an event as, as grandiose as the Olympics? Where would they get the money otherwise? Exactly. Well, that's where I'm sitting right now, too. But, uh, Sherry, what do you think? I, yeah, absolutely think it's kind of necessary because you do need to fund the Olympics somehow. And I think these Olympians need to be funded. Like, so Olympians often have to pay their own way over to the Olympics. So to have to buy... And they don't really get paid to to practice their sports usually. Um, so, you know, having to pay your own way over to another country, like buy your own plane tickets and stuff like that, like that's a lot. I, I think, yeah, I think we need it because otherwise you'd have to fund them. Yeah. And I, I read somewhere about how much you can get for a gold medal, silver medal and bronze medal. And apparently it, it varies from different countries. Um, but in Canada, I think like a gold medal is something like $25,000. That's not even like a full year's wages. You can't be like, I have. Yeah. I won a gold medal. <laughs> I'm retiring now. <laughs> I trained for four years. I worked my butt off and I got a gold medal at the Olympics and should be able to take it easy. And no, yeah. you have to go back. And to now I have enough job. money to pay back my rent that I have not <laughs> paid. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, you know, I, I definitely don't like the idea of having the athletes having to pay their way into the Olympics, like by themselves, right? And uh, which then leads to, I mean, there needs to be some kind of external sponsor or external person responsible for helping kind of pay for this. So I think it's a, it would be a question of what would make sense. <laughs> uh, should we should we be like? Uh, China and Russia, where they technically pay for most of it, but are beholden to the government and uh, or uh, corporate sponsorships. I mean, in the sports world, corporate sponsorships are fairly common, right? Yeah. In North America, absolutely. Just look at the the boards in any hockey game, and they're just lined with different companies that are promote, you know, pouring their money into having this event. I wasn't paying close enough attention to the. Uh, to the events that I watched, do corporations have any of their branding or insignia on the uniforms themselves of the athletes? Mm-hmm. Like, is there a Nike swoosh on people's hats or shorts or whatnot? The, on clothing, there is. Yeah. On clothing, there is. The volleyball had 
um, what was it, the Lululemon little swoosh thing. And yeah, you often see like just some sort of, I think they're limited at the Olympics on how much corporate sponsorship you can have on your clothing, which is maybe why the women have such tiny clothing. They want to limit the <laughs> yeah, see, there, they can wear. <laughs> there, there's a pathway to having more clothing. Make it like NASCAR where they're just billboards of different no. companies. See, that's, that's where I think it has gone too far, right? Like NASCAR, where every square inch of their uniform is just covered in a logo. I think that's too far. You'll see calls for more clothing, I'm telling you. <laughs> or no no you know what they'll do they'll take those um temporary tattoos and they'll just tattoo on the skin itself they're different brands that's what mm. they do because they got to keep it sexy too mm-hmm. never want to sacrifice that. so <laughs> so strategically place all the logos in certain parts of the body <laughs> body part association for the different companies <laughs> Oh, who gets so the it's foot? very minimal though, Rory. So it's a, yeah. So like, it's not like NASCAR. It's very minimal for the Olympics. I've seen some sports like outside of the Olympics where they, they have a lot more on their, their uniforms mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. So we kind of established that it's a, a necessary part of the, the funding of the event and the athletes. Do you think it corrupts it at all? Do you think it taints the Olympics to have, that commercial part of it it's not a major part it, of it yeah do, do you think it works on you or other people like if, if i for me you know uh i'm looking at the sponsors right now for uh canada so the premier sponsors are rbc bank bell canadian tire and hudson's bay i do not spend money on any of those <laughs> <laughs> those companies so td also i I think i could tell you who the major sponsors are just because i watched the olympics and i watched like i don't typically watch a lot of commercials i stream a lot of my tv so um i don't watch a lot of commercials and like you fast forward when you you know record shows and stuff like that um but uh, for the olympics i watched a lot of commercials so i could tell you who the sponsors are but did it change my opinion on wanting to buy anything? Not me specifically. I'm pretty consumer uh, aware, I guess, of the messages they're trying to convey to me. Um, but it, it is interesting watching a lot of these commercials because, you know, they feature many Olympians and they give this heartfelt message. And um, yeah. yeah, so I could see Brief. it working on some people. Even like... Um... You know, think of when you're in the grocery store and you got your, your Cheerios box. Cheerios always have a big Olympic campaign where they're featuring, featuring Canadian athletes all over the box. And I think they even have like a, a thing that you can cut out and send away to, uh, I don't know if it gives the athlete any money or I think they call it a cheer. You send a cheer to your athlete by oh, yeah. sending this in the mail. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. I feel like I don't fall for any of that, <laughs> but maybe other people do. Because I, well, when I go buy cereal, I know what I like, and I consistently buy the exact same thing for the last ten years. So <laughs> it's not changing just because the Olympics. Nope, nope, it's, it's not going to change if they put an athlete on it. It's tough to say that though, because like you never like how do you know if you're being brainwashed if you're brainwashed, right? So. 
like watching all these RBC commercials, like I can tell you exactly what happened in them. They were like about mm-hmm. how they built a sports facility for these athletes. And you're like, oh, that's really nice. Good for you, RBC. Thank you for doing that. And so it gives you a better opinion of these companies. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. I, I can see yeah. how it it forms a corporate image, right? But I don't, mm. uh, but this is, I, I think that's fine. I mean, like we're, that happens on our social media anyways, right? I mean, when you look on Instagram, all the ads there are really influencing your opinions on different companies. But to me, it's a question of, is it would only affect me if there's now a transaction. Well, that's the thing. Everybody thinks that they're completely immune to advertising, especially people who are really bitter that the commercial came on and interrupted their television program. Like, I... I hate this company for getting in the way. Maybe that's a bit extreme. Maybe that's just me. But um, when it comes to decision time, when you're deciding, you know, what bank to use or what cereal to buy, maybe it is just sitting there in the back of your head that, oh, yeah, this company did good things. I'll, I'll give them a this or I'll invest with this bank. I don't know. It's so insidious that it's hard to, to pinpoint how much influence it actually yeah. has. I like to think I'm <laughs> well well informed, but I know I, I could be susceptible to uh, advertising. Everyone is potentially susceptible. If we weren't all susceptible to some extent, then I don't think advertising would be nearly as big of a part of our culture as it is. Yeah. But I, we know advertising does work because, I mean... People have gotten their return on investment from advertising dollars. Yeah. That's why companies continue to make profit. <laughs> and when you're going out to buy a hamburger, are you buying it from Bob's Swamp Shack or are you looking to Arby's <laughs> because you trust that they are actually going to sell you a burger with uh, you know, with the positive branding that they've built? Rory, I am never going to Bob's Swamp Shack. <laughs> <laughs> the most swamp delicious... Shack? Most delicious burgers on the planet, Sherry, and you'll never know. <laughs> Ew, no. It's made with raccoon. <laughs> That's the association I was going for, is the whole roadkill cafe angle. <laughs> oh, Sorry, gosh. Bob, you're not getting my uh, patronage. Sorry. <laughs> uh, there's one other um, economic point on the Olympics that I wanted to touch on probably a more negative point this time is uh are you guys aware of all the the fact that a lot of people get displaced by the olympics not necessarily undesirables but you know just to make room for the the events and new infrastructure they have to put in to have the olympics there are a lot of displaced people and it's always put in a part of town that the host country wants to represent and, you know, be known for and be associated with. And so a lot of the money gets poured into areas that maybe aren't the ones that need an infusion of cash to, to improve them the most. And I was wondering, you know, how do we get around that? What about the argument that, you know, when they build athletes villages, uh, they position it as, well, this is going to end up as. uh, Right low-cost housing all the false promises and then the olympic stadium just sits empty after they're done or the village sits empty they don't convert it into anything at all all with free cardboard beds yeah (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, I heard, yeah, I I did a little bit of research on the economic stuff as well, because I find that that's super interesting. But I also read that like Rio, so the Rio Olympics, they, they had also said like, oh, we're going to make this temp or we're going to make this housing for, um, you know, low, low cost housing or whatever. And it's still sitting empty and it's costing taxpayers so much money just to upkeep these buildings that are totally abandoned. Yeah. And it, it's a big part of, you know, what, you know, I don't know if it's the government officials, but whoever is trying to sell the idea of the Olympics to their citizenry, they always have this whole branding of, we're going to use it for other things when it's done and you're going to get a big return on your investment because of all the massive amount of tourist dollars and whatnot. And not even just immediately from the event, but people who see our city and how great it is, they're going to be flocking in afterwards as well. Whether that, What do you think is the, the barrier here? Because I mean, they spent so much money on building infrastructure. You have, you know, physical infrastructure in place. What is the barrier to actually uh, uh, utilize, using you know, it the increasing way you utilization want to. and things like that? Yeah, yeah. I I've thought about it. I don't have like a concrete researched answer. Part of me wonders if it's something to do with the location where they maybe build these things, whether they're not close to the different amenities that common people would need and want to use. Like, is it way out in? some island somewhere with no grocery store. And so you're like, I'm not going to live there. Why would I? There's nothing to do, nothing to see when the Olympics aren't happening. It's just useless. For Tokyo, I think that they would be able to convert it because it is such a big metropolis uh, where people want. It's right in the middle of the city. Is that where they built it? For Tokyo. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then uh, when I think about the Vancouver Olympics as well, like the Vancouver athletes village is right in Vancouver. Like it's within walking distance of anything. So including like transit and things like that. So at least, uh, again, I I don't know about the success of uh, the investments put into the Vancouver Olympics, but uh, I know like my brother lives in the village and he, and he, yeah, I mean, it's everything's, he doesn't own a vehicle. He uses public transport. He walks everywhere. Like everything's within walking distance for him. Is that a success story then that is actually being used, the Olympic Village in Vancouver? Uh, other than the fact that uh, housing prices are insanely high now, uh. regardless of <laughs> <laughs> whether it was originally designed as low-income housing. But, uh, the low but maybe that's quotations. a separate issue we can... <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. It's, and they do they have to do a lot to prepare for the Olympics as well. So, like... Um, the summer games have like hundreds of thousands of people who are going to visit. Uh, so you need to have enough hotel rooms. I think the IOC, so the IOC requires um, a city who's hosting the summer games to have a minimum of 40,000 available hotel rooms. Hmm. So Rio had to construct 15,000 new hotel rooms. So at which are probably not even being used. Um, but you have, and then you, on top of that, you have, um, uh, in the Summer Olympics, over 10,000 athletes who are competing. And then in the Winter Olympics, I think it's uh, 3,000 athletes. Um, so you have to have all of this, this space to house people. 
who are either coming in, you know, as tourists or media um, or as an athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to have that in- infrastructure available. And I feel like a lot of these countries where we've had the Olympics just just don't necessarily yeah. have that infrastructure like Rio. Yeah. It's probably. I, I quickly looked up the uh, Olympic locations in Rio, and maybe there is a point in terms of like actually where you situate the the Olympic Village because the Olympic Village for Rio is on the outskirts of Rio. It is. Uh, I did the Google quick Google Maps to you know near the city center core. It's a over forty five minute drive out in the boonies <laughs> to get to uh, where all the Olympic uh, infrastructure was. So they really segregated them from the rest of society for whatever reason. There's a massive mountain in the way oh, <laughs> separating. <laughs> but yeah, maybe it's not as big of an issue for, you know, countries or cities that uh, have a really well-developed uh, city plan already, but Maybe for smaller countries, if they don't have a lot of infrastructure built and then all the money gets poured into the Olympics and doesn't get used afterwards, it'd be a bigger problem. I think the amount of money that people spend on the Olympics is just so, so um, overwhelming. Like, it's tens of billions of dollars. And these countries, these cities are just going into debt over it. And I just don't understand why we are so okay. So before the nineteen sixties ish, uh, the Olympics were hosted in countries that were developed countries. So countries that had the infrastructure available didn't have to put as much in. After the nineteen sixties into the nineteen seventies, um, that's when you found uh, the Olympics going to countries that were, um, you know, bidding higher for things. So like you started to have a bidding war over. Uh, having the Olympics. So your money goes into bidding for the Olympics. So you have to put a money into like HR campaigns and stuff like that. Um, and then, and then to actually host the Olympics, you're building these new um, structures and, and, and all of that. Um, so I find it interesting how much we're going into debt over the Olympics. It just seems like unnecessary. Um, so I read the 1976 Olympics in Montreal. So we had the Olympics in Montreal in 1976. They were able to pay off that debt in 2006. It took them 30 years to pay off the 1.5 billion in debt that they took on to have uh, the Olympics. Um, And I found out actually there is since the seventies, there is one city that has been able to come out with a surplus uh, and that was Los Angeles in 1979. Um, because they negotiated with the IOC to allow um, the use of some of the already built stadiums that they had and ah. things like that, the infrastructure they already had, instead of building new stuff, they they were like, okay, can we use this stuff? So they made they negotiated with the IOC um, to use those facilities. So they were able to, um, they had a $215 million surplus. So, um, yeah, because of like broadcast broadcast revenues and, and, um, tourism and stuff like that. 
that really seems like the better way to go about it, like to use or improve your existing facilities and bring them up to an Olympic standard rather than, I feel like that's where so much money is lost is in constructing these whole new structures just for the event. It actually costs, I think it's like 10 million per year to, to um, upkeep these structures that you've built that are now abandoned. So um, I think I read, um, okay. So Beijing's 2008 summer Olympics generated, um, uh, 3.6 billion in revenue compared with over 40 billion in costs. So it cost them 40 billion. They got 3.6 out of it. Um, and now they have to upkeep their stadium. And so the bird's nest stadium uh, cost four hundred sixty million to build and requires ten million a year to maintain, and it just sits there unused. Oh. <laughs> like imagine what that money could. But do it looks pretty. Yeah, yeah. Right? I hope so. I hope it looks real pretty to those uh, <laughs> people who are paying taxes on it. I know. I know. I just yeah. But the IOC, I feel like it's the IOC that's maybe the the issue here because. Uh, they have some really, really intense contracts with countries. Like I know Japan was sort of like, uh, they're not allowed to say we don't want to host the Olympics this year because we're in a state of emergency uh, with COVID. Uh, The Olympics just went ahead. Like they're not allowed to say we don't want to host it. Um, It's not really up to them. That kind of makes sense because I was thinking that in the back of my mind, like, oh, poor Tokyo. They got like the bad timing olympics this time around Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so they were kind of forced to have it this year um and and so it wouldn't surprise me if in their little contract the ioc says if your stadium was not built in the last five years you have to build a new one or something like that yeah and so all these countries have to build new stadiums i bet you're right Mm -hmm. i'm curious as to what's going to happen in our next olympics which is literally happening in a few months yeah. <laughs> the, the the winter olympics it, and, in china when oh i heard we're we, we may pull out of china um because of the controversy around uh uh the guy who's in jail who was sentenced yeah the death oh, penalty or whatever one of the michaels yeah. or no the death penalty guy was someone else well, i think yeah, we have a death penalty guy who was charged with, was it drug trafficking yeah. or something yeah. like that? And then we have two other previous uh, diplomats. Espionage. Uh, the two Michael spies. Espionage. <laughs> yes. First of all, Canada spying? <laughs> <laughs> like, come on, we're Canadians. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I I have a big issue with the locations that we hold the Olympics. Like, locations that we've held them in the last, you know, 10 years or so have been kind of questionable. Like when we think about the Russian Olympics, they were actively hunting down gay people and killing them while the Olympics was going on and probably still. And then going to China next next year for the the Winter Olympics, like they're actively um, putting Uyghurs into concentration camps. Allegedly, because they it, it's it's, know, it's very whatever. political, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's basically they're they're trying, you know, the Olympics. We are trying to foster this international, you know, feel good event, 
so they're trying to cater to you know every country, but at the same time, it brings to the question like, should we be so jubilant about you know bringing in uh, countries like Russia and China and promoting how great they are to the rest of the world? Yeah, and using the Olympics as a uh, propaganda platform for these countries. It really begs the question of to what extent does the IOC and uh, you know, all the participating countries, are we complicit in what's happening in those countries? You know, the different atrocities that may be being committed by a hosting nation. Does it? Uh, I mean, in reality, obviously every country has its faults, right? And for so sure. We, we kind of have to decide how much are we willing to accept? Yeah, for the and next uh, Canadian Olympic event or something, are they just going to say, well, not in the residential school place? I don't think so. Exactly. And yeah. that's what the Chinese kind of said is like, you know, every country's got something that they're, that, you know, uh, human right that they've violated or whatever. But like, we're not actively currently actively hunting down um First Nations people and putting them into camps. Whereas in in China, you're looking at the Uyghurs. And, you know, before that, in Russia, you're looking at... I, I mean, we don't... Even for China, like we don't... Even, it's the Uyghurs, it's the protesters in Hong Kong. And the protesters in Hong Kong, the, yes, yeah. Try, it's the trying to literally take over Taiwan. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's, there's so many international incidences that China's involved in right now. If you're actively working against your citizens and like putting them in concentration camps, putting them in jail um, when they should for protesting, uh, killing people like you shouldn't be allowed to have the Olympics. Why are you allowed to have the Olympics? Why was Russia allowed to participate in these Olympics? I just it boggles my mind. <laughs> There were so yeah. many issues. Well, technically, with the technically, <laughs> Russia wasn't in participating in the Olympics. Even no, though it they was looked the like they Russian, had Russian Olympic Olympics. Even though yes. they had Russian uniforms and it was an ROC, so the Russian Olympic Committee, like, oh, of course, they're not participating. Whatever. I just, <laughs> it makes me so mad. I'm so mad about so many different things about the Olympics. <laughs> Why can't the Olympics just. <laughs> transcend it sherry why can't it just be about the athletes <sighs> yeah exactly going back to the economic thing though i wanted to point out that um a whole bunch of countries have pulled out their bids um because of the rising cost of the olympics mm. um and so to the point where um they had three finalists for the 2024 olympics so Budapest, Hamburg, and Rome, they withdrew. So all three finalists withdrew, leaving only Los Angeles and Paris. And so they decided to like uh, split it between Los Angeles and Paris for the next two Olympics because they didn't. They had a lack of people putting in bids for uh, hosting the Olympics. Um, I found that very interesting. I do too. I wonder what kind of ripple effect that might have if countries or cities are reaching a point where they're not willing to incur that massive cost in order to be the hosting city nation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I or mean, maybe here's the, another idea. Why don't we revisit countries that already have the infrastructure? Brilliant. 
I'm a genius. <laughs> why am I not running the committee? <laughs> I don't understand why we don't host it in like, let's say we have like 10 different countries who have already hosted it before who have the infrastructure. We can host it there, you know, you know, every four years we do a next country. So we've got 10 different countries. All these other countries, I get it. You want to host the Olympics, but you don't have that infrastructure. Maybe over time you can build it. So like over 10 years, if you could build you know, little pieces of it over time, whatever. But I don't know. I don't understand why we're having the Olympics, number one, in places that shouldn't be having it. Number two, why we're not having it in places that don't already have that infrastructure built in. Oh, at the same time, I can almost imagine the pendulum swinging the other way. Like if Montreal, say, were the city that always hosted the Olympics when it came to Canada, eventually Vancouver's like, hey, enough of that. We want to actually host it this time and they pour in more money and swing swing goes the pendulum it goes for the opposite argument i don't get it yeah but so many so many countries and cities have already hosted the olympics i mean we we could be it could take like another you know two decades to cycle through (laughs) cities so you would advocate we'll just keep cycling through uh, countries except for Russia, China, yeah. anyone else you would exclude. Please take them out of that rotation, yes. Until Certainly. they can get their act together. If they can promise that they're going to like, you know, fix their issues, then sure, they can have it again. And you know what? Maybe Canada Canada can't have it again until we give uh First Nations people clean drinking water. How about that? That, that might be fair. a motivation for us to have it again. Yeah. I like it. Using it as leverage to push a positive, <laughs> progressive policy change. But the Olympic committee's not supposed to be political, <laughs> no, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know that you know what's good yeah. you know what they're gonna say. Yep. <laughs> you can literally hear don't interfere. my eye rolling through your sound right now. <laughs> <laughs> I just get so worked up. <laughs> it can be frustrating. Sherry's getting very flushed. Yes. Getting very flushed there. Just, oh. <laughs> it just boils This my was blood. supposed to be a happy topic, right? <laughs> I love the Olympics and yet I hate them at the same time. Yeah. And I can't I can't reconcile that that split in me. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want a total eclipse. There's a lot of good things that come out of the Olympics too and not the least of which is being the platform for these amazing athletes to display their skills. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And we have a lot of, and we have a lot of great representation from the LGBT community. So yes, that's a, that's a plus. And mm-hmm. like when Tom Daly won the gold, you know, every reporter was asking about him, about his husband, about his kid. And it was just nonchalant. It wasn't a big deal. And, yeah, and about his knitting. That's great. Did you see his knitting? And his knitting. Yes. yes. He knit himself a beautiful uh, jumper. <laughs> it's gorgeous. You see all the other athletes are like focused, they're listening to music, getting ready to like compete. And Tom is just <laughs> I saw that clip. knitting I a saw sweater. The I am glad of that. I'm glad of the female representation this year. We had so much female representation. I'm glad of the LGBT. And the majority of our goals in Canada were also from females. Yes. Yes. I'm glad. Women were leading. (laughs) Yes. Yes, they were. For a while, yeah. It was like the only reason to tune in to 
to Canadian participation is like, well, if it's a women's sport or you're not going to see a medal. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So women, LGBT, um, overall, it's great to see that representation, um, minority representation, even, you know, seeing more Muslim people within the table tennis mm-hmm. court or, you know, uh, maybe one day more, more black women in the swimming sport. But we'll have to get there, I guess. Well, one Olympics down and one to go in another few months. <laughs> yeah, we're still yep. we're still very uh, news relevant for the future Olympics, the upcoming Olympics. <laughs> yeah. So w- when the next Olympics happen, we'll revisit and see what new controversies <laughs> have showed up. Gosh, I can't wait. For winter, it won't I be. I can't wait because it's going to be in China. I I can't wait. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Oh, boy. All right. (laughs) We'll see if Canada participates. Yeah, we'll have to see. Okay, so thanks for listening, everyone. Till next time. I see ya. Stay safe. And uh, oiled up. uh, Who is that? I forgot what country that guy was in. Anyways. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Don't worry about it. Ignore me. Someone's greasing. (laughs) You just saw a TikTok video of an oiled up man and you were like, oh yeah, I want the electric more often. No, this is, this is, uh, oh. Damn, what country is he in? He, it, in the last few Olympics, he was always the flag bearer for this country. But he always he's he always, always uh, oils himself up and walks shirtless into the Olympic. Just uh, so he shimmers in the light. <laughs> I think I remember seeing this guy in the commenters like saying something about his oil or something like that. Yeah, it's hilarious that Google knows exactly what I'm trying to search for. I literally typed up oiled up and then the next it auto uh, fills in Olympic flag bearer. <laughs> <laughs> so his name is Peter. Oh, uh, Tonga. Oh, yeah, He's yeah. From Tonga. the country of Tonga. Yeah. I do remember that. Way to be oily man from Tonga. Yeah. But he, he's a very odd athlete because, I mean, Tonga is a small country, right? So he, they literally send him to every Olympic, whether it's winter or summer. <laughs> he literally learns a sport and then goes into the Olympics. He's not going to win, but... But he's there. He's there and he's, he's carrying... Like, but he's like, there oh, to represent. I love it. I love it. He's like their mascot. It's so wonderful. They're good luck charm. Exactly. They're oily, oily mascot. (laughs)